One, two, three. Welcome to Three Song Stories, the podcast that asks our guests to reflect on their lives through the lens of songs and then sit down and listen to them with us while also acting like a major goofball along the way, oftentimes. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canary. Our guest today is musician David Mayfield. David grew up playing bass and touring in a bus with his family's bluegrass band. He started collecting national awards while still a teen for his dexterity on guitar and mandolin. For a time, he was a backing player in his sister Jessica Lee Mayfield's band, including during their appearance on The Late Show with David Letterman. His bio says he oozes personality on stage. I can certainly vouch for that. Played with the bluegrass outfit Cadillac Sky, playing a bunch of shows with Mumford and Sons, and then started writing songs and recording his original material. Since then, he has toured almost nonstop as frontman of the David Mayfield Parade, releasing three albums over the years. He's also performed quite a bit with the Avett Brothers, who he calls friends. His fourth album, Boy Howdy, is just out. It started as a slow burn Kickstarter, which I was on, and he's been on my list of dream guests since launching this show two years ago. So here we go. Hey there, David. How you doing? I'm doing great, Mike. How are you? I am doing so good. So I have to ask, um, you're a musician. I've been told that, yes. It's early in the morning, relatively speaking. How much of a stretch was it for you to get here this early? Well, we, we, I'm normally up by 8, 30, 9 o'clock at home. Uh, we did fly in from Akron, Ohio last night, so uh, it was kind of a, a bit of a late night. But uh, it was no no trouble. Okay, good. Yeah. Well, because I, I I was like, wow. Anything for when you. you well, thank you so much. Well, when you agreed to do it in the morning, I was like, oh, okay. Um, okay, this is uh, our first question typically. And I think for you, it's probably a loaded question. What was the musical background of your childhood? Um, well, I grew up in a family bluegrass band. I was homeschooled, um, despite how normal and well-adjusted I appear. Uh, and uh, so... It was kind of bizarre. We lived in Bill Monroe's 1956 tour bus huh. for about 11 years of my childhood. From like when to when? Like uh, five My to... parents bought it when I, I would say I was like nine or ten. Did your parents then, know Bill Monroe? No, they bought it from somebody else who bought it from somebody else. Who, okay. It was kind of a famous bus. It was uh, Ferlin Husky had it. First, okay, and then sold it to Kitty Wells. Kitty Wells sold it to Bill Monroe, who sold it to somebody, and eventually my parents got a hold of it. And where is it now? It is in uh, is at my parents' house in Ohio, and I believe it's sunk about three feet into the ground. It's become immobile. It is immobile. Yeah, some we had it parked in uh, in Kent, Ohio, where we were living after we moved uh, into a home, uh, and. It uh, some kids smashed all the windshields, and it had all those big curved mm-hmm. glass. So it's too expensive to replace. So. Hmm. Um, what was the name of your parents' band? Or it the was band? called One Way Rider. One Way Rider. Yeah. Um, did you perform in it? I did. Well, they they started as a, a country band, and then they had a bass player who was too drunk to make it to shows, and they just said, "Well, let's you know, let's get the boy to play bass." And I was, you know, 10 years old or so. and uh, Like stand-up bass? Um, electric bass at first. When it started, I, I told them I, that I could be the bass player. And they said, well, we don't even have a bass. And I said, well, buy me a bass and I'll do it. And they said, well, 
my dad said, if you can learn all the bass parts on the bottom strings of a guitar, because I had a guitar, I had an old Fender acoustic guitar, he said, then I'll buy you a bass. So I learned all of their songs, all these, you know, Keith Whitley, Ricky Skaggs, country songs that they were playing out at the bars. I learned them on the guitar, and he had no choice then but to buy me a little $100 bass, and I was in bars playing for line dances as huh. a 12-year-old. Huh. What made him decide to, like, buy a house? Uh, well, I think living in a bus. <laughs> and it was you and your parents and your sister? My two sisters. Two sisters. Okay. Yeah. I think that sort of took its toll on the family. <laughs> well, I would think it would have. If it was going <laughs> to yeah. take its toll, it may have taken it after three or four years. Yeah. I think it did. <laughs> and, uh, and they just uh, weren't ready to, to admit that. What kind of music were you guys listening to? Or what kind of music were you listening to, too? Well, I was listening to... I've always been... I've always loved bluegrass music. And that was kind of the first music I discovered as a kid. It's what my parents played. It's what my uh, grandparents played. So it was always everywhere. Uh, you had to move a banjo or something if you wanted to sit down in, in our house or on the bus, especially. But uh, so... Bluegrass music. I did discover uh, um, there was a thrift store close to our house when I was a little kid. I remember riding my bike there and I bought Bridge Over Troubled Water. Was that a Simon and Garfunkel? Was that a a record? I bought it on uh, vinyl and I just, I didn't know who they were. I just, it looked interesting to me. And I remember bringing it home and listening to it and I was so blown away because I'd only heard like Ralph Stanley and. And this really old bluegrass kind of stuff. So that was like your introduction to <clears throat> modern music. <laughs> yeah, and 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 I thought I like discovered some secret thing. I remember my dad came home from work, and I was like, "You have you ever heard of <laughs> Simon and Garfunkel? <laughs> this is insane." And he's like, "Yeah, I've, I've heard of them. Is you know." Mrs. Robinson and all that. But I was just blown away by that. What year would that have been? And, and by that, I oh, mean, what boy. would have been being, being played in the popular culture on the normal radio stations that your contemporaries around you in the world were likely listening to? You know, I, have, I'm not, I don't think I know, and I don't know if I know what that would be now, even. That's but, a solid answer. Yeah. Uh, probably, this would probably be 98, okay. 97. So I know my, my parents were... They were, you know, hip to, to country music at that time, which was a lot of – there was a lot of bluegrass people who became country stars in the late 80s, Keith Whitley, Ricky Skaggs, Marty Stewart. So we were following that. But as far as pop and rock music, I have no idea. So what about like were they at all into the classic stuff of the, you know, the 60s and the 70s and the Beatles and Rolling Stones? N- not at all. No. So you, 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 oh, you yeah. lived a disconnected from that stuff life. Oh yeah, my my dad, my dad is would. I think he would get mad if he caught me listening to the Beatles. <laughs> um, so you said uh, you had a guitar, then you played bass. Uh, when did the mandolin come along? Uh, well, my mom played mandolin, so there was always one laying around, and I would pick it up and and mess with it a little bit. And probably when I was about fourteen or so, I got serious about it and just fell in love with the mandolin. What do you consider your favorite instrument to play these days? I'm having a lot of fun playing the mandolin. I, I sort of took, you know, as the as my band uh, started to take off about ten years ago. Now uh, I was playing guitar all the time, just because it, it's kind of 
what you sh- you're told you're supposed to play as a you're band. You're the front man. Yeah. You play the guitar, right. Uh, but <laughs> I've had a lot of fun picking the mandolin back up. And if I say early musical memory that you can recall, what pops into your head? Early musical memory. Uh, hmm. Well, I remember being – I I'm not sure how old I was. Very young, but my – I do remember we went to a county fair and Ricky Skaggs was playing and I had only heard all of Ricky Skaggs songs being sung by my father in the living room or around the house. So when I saw this guy on stage, I remember tugging on my dad's shirt be like, he's singing all your songs. <laughs> that dude's covering that your music. Play- he's like, he sounds like you, dad. And I didn't realize it was the other way around as oh, a kid, you know. That's pretty good. Um, can you remember a time uh, when you were younger when music moved you somehow in a way that might have been different than – and that might be a really complicated question for you because you were so immersed in it. Early – Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. That's. I, I feel like I, I have such a, like visceral, emotional connection to to music in general, that it's hard to think of a, of one particular early memory that that moved me because I I feel like I get something out. I'm moved. In some way, even even as a kid, I can remember having, you know, putting on headphones or laying on my belly in front of the record player and staring at a at the jacket and just getting lost in that world especially you know it was living on a bus with your whole family uh homeschooled it's all kind of it was a strange childhood so escapism mu- escaping into music was hmm. was a common place for me to go cool um it's time for your first song all right um, it's Highway 52. Sure. How would you like to handle this? Well, I, I'll, I'd like to I'd like to set up the story a little bit, and then we can listen to it, and then the story continues. Perfect. So, uh, my papa, which is how we say grandpa, where I come from, uh, was a coal miner in Kentucky, and moved up to Northeast Ohio to work in a factory would send money back to to my grandma and my mom. And uh, so he brought a lot of, like a lot of people who'd made that move up into the Northeast, he brought that bluegrass and Appalachian music with him. And uh, one of the things that he had was an old reel-to-reel tape player that he had recorded a radio show in Kentucky with. And I would go over there as a kid, and I was just fascinated by that reel-to-reel. I could stare and watch those reels go spin around all day. And one of the songs that he had on that reel-to-reel was Highway 52 by Dave Evans and Riverbend. And now Dave Evans was a this sort of soulful mountain singer from southern Ohio – and he ended up going to prison for about eight years for, uh, I believe it was some kind of assault or something. But, but I just I, every time I would stay with my papa, he would play 
this tape for me and he would say, listen right here, you listen to Dave Evans. This is what music should be. Not that crap your parents are playing for you. This is music. Shall we? Let's listen. All right, Highway 52 by Dave Evans and River Bend. <laughs> so where does that one take you? Well, you know, I, have, I don't think I've listened to that all the way through in at least 10 years. And I, I can smell that tape machine, that kind of burny smell. Uh, spent a lot of hours just listening to that with my papa. And he only had one tape, but it was like, you know, full of of this bluegrass radio yeah. station that he recorded. But uh, that's great. Uh, Dave Evans, is, he's one of my heroes. Uh, but so about maybe 15 years ago, I moved to Nashville, Tennessee and started looking for work as a sideman. And I was I played with a, a country guy named Andy Griggs for a couple years, and uh, through that, I met I went to a a party at the Station Inn in Nashville. It's kind of a bluegrass little little kind of place, and uh, lo and behold, Dave Evans was there, and he don't he's only been out of prison for maybe <laughs> two years at this point. He went away for about. Eight years, I believe, and it, that sort of put a, a halt to his career. Uh, but I, of course, went up and introduced myself. I was a huge fan. This was like this would be like somebody else seeing, you know, uh, Sting in somewhere. You know, like this was big for me. I'm proud of you for knowing Sting. That's the only one I know. Yeah, <laughs> um, and I just know that because he was on a Dire Straits song. Uh, but. Uh, so I, I I started talking to Dave and and I think he appreciated that I knew who he was, and uh, and was a fan. And eventually he called me to play a show with him. He needed a bass player, stand up bass. So I went and uh, he picked me up in his Isuzu little Jeep, and the two of us. It was a dead of winter. We drove up to Withful, Virginia. And he had a whole rest of the band was meeting us there. They were all random people from parts, different parts of Virginia and West Virginia that drove there and met us. And it was a little sort of community uh, kind of sh- bluegrass show in like a VFW hall or something. Mm-hmm. And we played the show and it was great. I'm up there, you know, playing Highway 52. I'm thinking my papa would be so proud if he w- was yeah. around to see this. And then after the show, uh, find out that there's we don't have anywhere to stay. So Dave had he didn't book any hotel, he didn't line anything up, and so we end up sleeping at the VFW hall in the parking lot in his Isuzu <laughs> that he would start up every twenty five minutes or so, turn the heat on, and smoke about seven cigarettes. And, and you were how old at the time? I was well. I was, this is fifteen. Maybe maybe longer. This was like 2002. So I was probably 18. Okay. Maybe maybe 19. Uh, and it was just a, a very surreal night, you know, to be with this voice that I had had studied and idolized as a kid and, and <laughs> to be 
in this just you know sort of bizarre night of <laughs> of smoking and and trying to sleep but he I ended up playing with him for about a year and there's a lot of wild stories he was a he was a a wild character he he passed away about 2 years ago but he he was trying to get me to sell my car and he was going to sell his Jeep, and he said, "Now, now, Dave, you if you sell your Monte Carlo and I sell this Jeep, we'll buy us a motorhome, and we can live in it just outside of Nashville. And then when we need to go play shows, we won't have to sleep in the Jeep no more." <laughs> now, I didn't take him up on it, which did is you, probably <laughs> had you, did you sleep in the Jeep more than once? I slept in the Jeep several times. Yeah, <laughs> uh, the one time we we played a festival. In, uh, it was the the Poppy Mountain Bluegrass Festival in, in Kentucky, and they gave us a hotel room, but just one room. And I remember that <laughs> – I never told this story to anybody. I remember uh, there was, Dave had a, uh, a, a lady caller come back to the hotel who happened to have a, like, 12-year-old son with her. <laughs> and it was my job <laughs> – Dave gave me a $5 bill and said, why don't you take that boy down to the lobby and get him a candy bar and just hang out down there for a while. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, so this, oh, that's a good story. He's a bluegrass playboy. Did, um, uh, did, did your grandfather uh, live long enough to know that you were playing with him? He did not. Hmm. He never did. Hmm. But I think he would have been... Probably blown away by that. That tape that he made was that just like his little piece of home, or was that just? Yeah, I, I think he he listened to it until it's it. I think he taped it back together several right. times because it would get worn out and snap, and then he'd just tape it back together, and so there'd be a little skip in a certain yeah, song yeah. or a place. But do you uh, do you ever cover Highway Fifty Two? I you know it's something I'll do it like a jam session or gotcha back like porch a little after little, show thing yeah. or something like that. Hmm. Um, where does music fit into your life in terms of listening to it while you guys are touring around or when you're at home? Not you, you know, not you're making it, you're consuming it. Right. Uh, well, we, you know, we tend to listen to a lot of podcasts. Oh yeah. On the road, um, I think that's nice with a band because it's like everyone has such different musical tastes. You know, we we will listen to music together a lot, but sometimes it's nice since we are making it and. And music is our whole lives. It's nice to step out of that. But I listen to music at home constantly. I've got a turntable set up and and I love Blue, go, country bluegrass in dire straits. Right, dire straits. I mean my, my palette is a little uh it's a little more expanded now. But I I definitely um yeah. What are a couple of the what are a couple of the podcasts you guys listen to when you're on the road? We listen to uh let me think um I I've just started listening to uh what's it called uh it's hold on Leave this in don't edit this out You're uh definitely you yeah, fear yeah. not <laughs> This is gold Uh <laughs> what is this thing called <laughs> Uh, I listen to it every day almost. It's John Hodgman's fake court 
Oh, podcast. that's great. Do you know what that's called? Um, oh, I yeah, know it. Oh, I, I know. <laughs> so, so here's uh, real quick while you're, while Richard's looking up the title of it for you. So, that, John, yes, that's part of the that max. Up. That's part of the great. Maximum Fun um, Network. Yeah, which is uh, Jesse Thorne, right. who does Bullseye, who did this show from really? his studio, and he was our first remote connection. Wow. So, wow. I think it's just called. He's Judge got a beard John like Hodgman. You. <laughs> yeah, Judge John Hodgman. I think yeah. you're right. <clears throat> yeah, I love that show because it's they take. It's it's like a Judge Judy kind of setup, but they take it very seriously, and it's all just none of it matters. It's like <laughs> you know, my roommate doesn't. He wants to do let all the dishes pile up and then do them all at once, and I want him to do them when they're done. And they talk about that for an hour. Yeah, and it's a great way to just kind of. <laughs> do you guys, when you listen as a band, do you guys have to? Do you put it over the? In, are you all traveling in together? And so you have to decide. Does everybody get to pick one? You rotate through them, or yeah, well, you know, you, we we will listen to on the speakers in the in the van. Uh, we've we've all been everyone in my band right now. We've all been in other bands in the past where it's like earbuds in. And you don't make eye contact until showtime, you know. And and I'm lucky now that I'm really good friends with everyone in the band, and we kind of have similar tastes. Uh, so we'll listen to the, a lot of the same stuff. Gotcha. Okay. We're, I want to. I want an arc from. I saw you play as David Mayfield Parade mm-hmm. at the Alliance for the Arts in Fort Myers five, six, seven years ago, something like that. Mm-hmm. You were like you said at the time. You were playing guitar, and it wasn't. I wouldn't characterize that as bluegrass. It was. There may be some elements of bluegrass, and then. Um, when I saw your Kickstarter for the, your most recent album came out, I put in the money. Oh, by the way, here. Ooh, there it is. There it is. I, so I, I, it took a while. It did. It took a while. <laughs> and it uh, came in, and it's just a white uh, CD case with just all caps. I supported David Mayfield on Kickstarter. I waited literally forever, and all I got was this lousy bluegrass album. I'm not necessarily a big bluegrass fan, but I put this in, and I mean, if nothing else, the musicianship is just completely prodigious. It was just like, holy shit. What am I listening to here? Go on. I want the arc from you guys playing as more of a folky kind of rocky kind of country fusion thing to this. Do you have a new band now? Is it mostly a new band? Is it an yep. all a new band? All new, it's an all new lineup. Tell us all how we got there. Sure. I got completely burned out and uh, hated music and my life and everything. Uh, I had... I was playing – about that time when you saw me probably, I was playing – I think one year I did 240-some shows, mm-hmm. but over 200 shows a year. And it just – I was – I lived in a in a 15-passenger van with a bunch of people who hated me because I was awful. And uh, it sort of – I just – you know, I, I didn't enjoy it anymore. And I, I had a manager at the time who was – I remember very clearly him saying, you're not bluegrass. I don't want to hear that word. You know, there's not going to be any banjo on this record. You know, he was really trying to push me in a different direction. So when when we quit working together, I just – I decided I'm, I'm going to leave Nashville. I'm going to move back to Akron, Ohio. I'm going to slow down. I opened a recording studio. Up there. What's it called? Uh, it's called Sweet Side Recording Company. Okay. And I just kind of slowed down for a couple years. So I would still go and play shows, kind of, you know, get the old band back together or throw something together, kind of like Dave Evans, uh, for for a little while. And then uh, it took me, you know, a little time to fall back in love with music and uh, 
fall back in love with myself, really. I kind of lost a sense of self in those years just playing so much. And before that, I was on the road with uh, a band called Cadillac Sky. Um, and then before that, I toured with my sister, and then I played with Andy Griggs. So I had been just nonstop touring for almost— Since you were born. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Uh, so that's really what what caused this was that that little bit of break and and sort of falling back in love with music and writing again and realizing that the tunes I were writing sort of uh, would would lend themselves to to a more acoustic bluegrass kind of sound and as I started dipping my toes in in that water I just had to dive right in because it just made me so happy. As soon as I started playing that kind of music, I was like, oh, yeah, this is what I fell in love with as a kid. So where'd you find the people you're playing on this with? Mostly Tinder. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, you know, they're all people that I've met along the way. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a, there's a, they're not all in Akron, though, right? No, no. Mm-hmm. Most of them are, are uh, they seem out like there they're touring and yeah. doing their own things. Are they all in their own independent projects then, too? Yeah. Pretty much on, on the record, most of them are. Some of the musicians play in the Del McCurry band, and uh, you know, are in other bands. I, I noticed one of the vocal credits on this is Scott Avitt. Where does he fit in? I listen to the, I listen to it. I'm like, there's that one point where there's like this real low voice underneath that kind of, uh, yeah, trails along. <laughs> right. I think that's that's actually Daryl Scott on that song. But yeah, Scott Avitt sings on a couple couple tunes. Um, and the the Avitt brothers have been real helpful for me over the years. I opened for them probably a hundred times. How'd you meet them? Uh, I met them at a festival in Southern Ohio called the Appalachian Uprising. And I was the MC for that festival because oh. my family band played it when we were kids. And You were like a celebrity. I was a minor celebrity. So I would, I would introduce, I introduced them and we just kind of hit it off. And this was many years before their sort of breakout success. And when they got when they went on the on their first big tour when uh they my sister opened for them and then their next tour when their uh that they made an album with Rick Rubin and it was like this big world tour and I went and opened for them on that and that was pretty pretty wild and they're they're very gracious folks they seem know? seem like it yeah um so it like i said it took a while from pledging to the kickstarter to getting the kickstarter i want to just know real quick and we don't need to spend a lot of time on this there are obviously a few tracks on there it seems like that are just recorded straight live to tape how much of that is straight live to tape and how much of that is being engineered because there's some seems like there's some is that it's probably tweaked out pretty nice yeah well a couple of uh the folks on there recorded remotely, okay. as as you're you're aware of, uh, just like Jesse Thorne, they uh, just did it at home and sent it to me. So there was a, had to be a little uh, did you trickery did to you kind of blend it? it in. I did. I mixed it all. Wow. Um, and tracked most of it at my studio. Wow. And that's you on the mandolin, right? Yep. I see. In my head, when you because when this came in, I was still imagining you on stage at the Alliance, and I started hearing all that, and then I started looking. I'm like, wow! Like you, I didn't even know you played the mandolin. I mean, you you can play the mandolin. Um, Thank you. Okay, <laughs> time for your second song. Oh goodness! Uh, which one did do you have lined up? Uh, you ain't woman enough. How dare you? You take that back. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, all right. Well, I'll, I'll I guess I'll just tell the story first. Maybe. Sure. Well, I don't know. Yeah, I'll tell the story first. Everybody's heard this song, but I can't 
hear it without thinking about this. So we it, this was when my my parents had just bought Bill Monroe's bus and we sold the the mobile home that we had previously lived in. Uh, so it it didn't really feel like much of a downgrade. To it was go a mobile. Into a bus. It, was, it was a mobile home that didn't move, though. Right. Okay. It was right. an immobile mobile home. Right. Right. And then we're like, hey, we're going to move into this mobile home. Uh, so it was right around that time, and we went to Nashville, and we were supposed to play at uh, some venue. My parents had set it up, so we drove this giant forty foot bus from. Northeast Ohio, all the way down to Nashville, and uh, it just seemed like, you know, one of the, like a voyage where somebody's going to die along the way. You know, it just seemed so hard. Uh, I remember that bus didn't have power steering, mm. so whenever my dad had to make a big sharp turn, he'd have to get leverage. He would yell. He's like, power steering, and me and my mom <laughs> or me and my older sister would come up and we'd grab the wheel with him. And yank on it so he could turn this giant wheel. Did it have power steering that was broken or it just I think didn't it, have power steering? I don't think it ever had power steering. Wow, that seems dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> it, it also had – there was something strange about going in reverse, I remember, that you couldn't – it couldn't go in reverse. That was probably just because it was broken. But <clears throat> You'd have to park strategically. Oh, yeah. It was – it was, you know, you would leave – 12 hours early for anything <laughs> if you were taking the bus. <laughs> but we get to Nashville eventually and I'm – let's see. My little sister Jessica was probably seven years old at the time and I'm not, not sure if you're familiar with her but she has a whole music career of her own, songwriter, Jessica Lee Mayfield. And uh, But anyway, she was just a little kid and we lived on this bus and it was – Bizarre, we get down there, we're ready to play our weird show at the Nashville Palace or something for no money, and it's double booked, and they won't, they're like, no, yeah, we booked someone else or something, it was a mix-up, and it's like, well, we're not just a local Nashville band, we drove, you know, it was, it was, it was a mess. So I remember we're parked in front of a, like a strip mall somewhere in Nashville, and my mom's crying, and we didn't have any money at all, and we were really hungry. Like that show was moving you to the next. That show was like, this <clears throat> yeah. is how we're going to eat. Yeah. <clears throat> and I remember, we 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 literally didn't have any food for that meal, and there was a McDonald's, and I remember just like begging my dad, like, can I have a some like a fish sandwich or something? And he was just like, we don't we don't have a dollar. So I I got my little sister. I was – see, I'm maybe six years older than her. So she was seven or eight. And uh, we got all dressed up in our stage clothes. It's about 7 o'clock at night. And she puts on a little red sparkle. She had this little red dress that my – Mom and my older sister had matching dresses, and they bedazzled them. They were covered in little gems and sparkles. And I had black jeans, a black shirt, and a brown belt with a giant belt buckle that said bluegrass on it. 
and a little red bow tie and red suspenders. And my dad would wear the same outfit. And that's what we wore on stage. So we dressed up all in our clothes, just Jessica and I. We didn't even tell anyone else in the family what we were doing. And they would, they would bring buses in for, to Opryland because this strip mall was over by Opryland. So they would bring busloads of people in and they would get out to go into Opryland. So I took a guitar and we stood right there where the bus would let people out. And as soon as they got off the bus, we only – Jessica only could sing lead on one song. And we would just play that song as, you know, all these tourists were, were getting off the bus and they would put money in our open case. And we did that the first bus and – and we waited, you know, an hour until the next bus came, and we just played the same song over and over again. We did it maybe two or three times, and I think we made $100 that wow. night. Wow. And then you went back, and what did your parents think? They were really impressed. <clears throat> yeah? Yeah, I earned a little, a little respect, I think. We both did that night. What would you get and from then, McDonald's? I think I got two fish sandwiches and who knows what else. <laughs> I earned it, though. Hot apple pie. Uh, you want to listen to it? I'd love to. All right. This is uh, You Ain't Woman Enough by Loretta Lynn, originally from her 1966 album of the same name. Yeah. Picture a six-year-old or seven-year-old girl singing this, too. <laughs> That is like that's like the opposite of Jolene, right? It's like the nega Jolene, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, uh, 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 do you hear her at all when you hear that? I mean, or... I I can only hear my sister when I when we listen to that. I can just hear her little little voice and just I remember the just how funny it was to to hear a seven year old girl yeah. sing you, "You Ain't Woman Enough to Take My Man," and she had pipes probably. Oh yeah. Uh, does she ever play that song? No, she's she, her music now is is very dark and oh, okay and uh, kind of uh, indie rock, I guess. Oh, so when was the last time you played with her? Long time, long time, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Um, so uh, you have a new album? Yes. Boy Howdy. Sure. Boy Howdy. Is it the same as this? It is. It, yes. It, just track for track. Yep. Yep, same thing. Awesome. I'll, I'll give you one with the with the real cover on it, <laughs> but you've got the special. I've got the special limited yeah. edition. Uh, um, okay, um, I don't know the. Uh, you know, usually, I can guess by now the answers to these Broadway musicals. You uh, end up you end up going to see people, you know, sing and dance on a stage. Sure, I love I love musicals. I've I've seen a couple uh, West Side Story in on on Broadway, uh, The King and I, but. Yeah. What about muse, mu- movie musicals? Movie musicals. I, you know, I <clears throat> greatest film ever made, Cats. In, the in most my, recent the one? The most recent one. Right. Yeah. How many times have you seen um, it? I've seen, I see it every day. Really? Yeah. In your, in, in your in, nightmares? In my, in my nightmares. <laughs> Seriously, uh, yeah. though, did you see it? I did not. No. Oh, okay. My sister, I mean my sister, my daughter saw it. She's like 14 and she came out with her friend and she was just like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> so even if a 14-year-old who, who does musical theater. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, knocked her off. Um, what about concerts? Do you ever spend time going to other people's concerts? I I try to. You know, I it's it's tough because it's, you know, it's right when I'm working most of the time. Right. You know, so it's tough to find a... A Friday or Saturday night, but there's a in in Akron. There's a there's a in Northeast Ohio in, in general. There's a great 
music scene, and uh, you get pretty lucky and can find a great songwriter or a fun Zydeco band or something on a on a Thursday night. You had mentioned earlier that maybe your musical tastes these days have broadened out just a little bit. Are there any contemporaneous bands that you listen to? Like anything that's out there, modern, releasing um, new music, not in the bluegrass yeah, uh, world? I, uh, I think what I've been enjoying recently. Um, you familiar with My Morning Jacket? Uh, Richard is. I am. That's some, yes. Yeah, they are. Yeah, they're. I, I do most of the hosting, but they know mostly about music. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right, I'm going to turn my chair around then because you're useless. Uh, no. Um, yeah, I like uh, their most recent record. I've been digging a lot, um, and also, you know, I, th- I feel like like Lizzo might be my spirit animal. Hmm. So I've been listening to her a lot. Like Lizzo's everyone's spirit animal nowadays. I think so. Yeah, I think that's that's fair. Um, do you have any TV theme songs committed to memory that you could sing for and or with us right now? Oh, TV theme songs. You probably didn't catch a lot of TV growing up. Not really. Uh, yeah, I probably don't have any TV theme songs. Hmm. But if you got, why don't you guys go ahead? <laughs> Sorry, what? He, he wants us to sing one for him. Yeah, I'll I'll chime in. I'll be like the hype man. Let's go to the uh, friggin' Munsters or something. Uh, so. yeah, Munsters, that could work. My go-to. <laughs> I, Adam's, fa- Adam's family. I mean, that's one that I think we all know. All right, hold on. Yeah, you know the and, Adams family. Well, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna be like the, like the Flava Flav. Oh, he's gonna be a hype man in the middle of a song. Right. Yeah. Good. Good. Bring this up. You better make some noises, though. Are you familiar with the Adams family as a general? You know, meme in our yeah. They culture. used they used to play a lot of the same bluegrass festivals as yes. my family band. <laughs> so or we might be talking about a different Adams. Probably so. <laughs> All right. <help. laughs> okay, we're skipping an H and R block commercial. Gotta love that point in the podcast where all four of us are trying not to laugh. <laughs> <laughs> I assume it's going to... Oh, right. Tara, you're going to be our lead, okay? Tara, you're going to be the lead. I can't even hear it. You're going you're gonna to hear it in a second. <laughs> yeah, pipe it in there so she that. can hear it. I don't hear any snaps or anything in there, guys. Okay, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> that was a spooky... Thank you. ...thing for you. That was your job. Thank you. Nailing. I'm killing it. This Keep going. Keep going. Oh. We're almost there. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They're all together, ooky, the Adams family. What? Their house is a museum where people come to see them. They really are a scream, the Adams family. Sweet. Level mic check? No, no. No, no. That was perfect. Let's take a moment. All right, we're going to start taping soon, take right? Take a breath. Okay. Um, I, okay, I, normally I'm going to ask uh, um, about dancing, but I've seen you dance. You're a dancer, right? You do not I, have the fear. I do not. I I am very... I'm, we we have I'm, people coming in worrying about us because of your scream. <laughs> 
<laughs> just, just checking to it's make sure right. everything's okay in here. Everything's That's fine. All. Yeah. Can you send help? She thought someone was hurt. <laughs> just wanted to make sure everyone's okay. <laughs> okay, back to dancing. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm happy to dance on this podcast for you guys. Oh, Tara, you, like. you want to start filming? Um, oh no, I'm just gonna. It's just audio only. Uh, no, uh, yeah, I love to dance. I'm, I, I'm very. You know, when you have a body like this, you know, just you kind of cutting through life like a hot knife through butter. Right, right. You should move. Do you ever uh, uh, do karaoke? I do. Yeah? Uh, Seems like you could have fun with karaoke. I have a lot of fun with karaoke. My go-to is usually I Will Always Love You by Dolly Parton. Uh Uh-huh. Or... uh, Do you do the Dolly version or do you do the Whitney version? I do the Dolly version. Okay. Dolly wrote it. Yeah. But uh, I also love... uh, Elvira by the Oak Ridge Boys. Ah, that's a pretty good. Do you get down? Do you, do you go down low with you that? Sing, I can you sing a little to. bit of it. Uh, eyes that look like heaven, lips like cherry wine. That girl can sure enough make a mountain little light shine all the time. And then it's got you know the. No. the <laughs> up Giddy up, oh, bop, oh, bop, mow, mow. That's a pretty good one. That was pretty good. For karaoke. For karaoke, yeah. Um, okay, it is time for your third song. All right. So when you asked me to do this, you didn't tell me what the, what the topic of the show was at first. Right. And then you remembered that and you said, hey, make sure you want to yeah, do it before. Yeah. Now that you've said yes, this is what we're right. asking. Yeah. Uh, and the, this, this story and song is the reason I said yes, because I actually have like kind of one of my big stories, my big closers, you know, if I'm at a party or, at a, you know, somewhere and it's like, I got a story. It's a story gold. It's a pretty. It's like my story, right? And it is. It involves a song. So I was like, I got to do this, and then you know, I'll figure out the other two. It won't be hard. I got a. I got a plane ride to Fort Myers to think it over. But this is this song. I guess I'll tell the story first, and then we'll listen to the song. Sounds good. Because that's sort of how how it goes down. But I was lucky enough in. This was 2004 to go to Thailand and Cambodia with a magician who was sort of independently wealthy, kind of a decent magician, but he really loved performing. And he started this nonprofit where he would take performers to third world countries and and we would perform at schools and orphanages. So I'm I'm just you know 21. Are you opening um, for him? Is he? So we're how does it we're, work? We're playing. We're doing it together. All I brought with me was a mandolin, and I would play. Oh, okay. So I would, you know, if we were at a school or an orphanage, I would come out, and maybe I would sing a simple "You Are My Sunshine" or something, and and kind of teach them to sing because they all were, would learn English in schools in Thailand and Cambodia. So we would. Then we could kind of talk about metaphors and sing, get them to sing the song. And then when he would come out and do his magic, I would play like instrumental magic music. Like accentuating. Yeah, yeah, I, was, yeah, yeah. I was his Vanna White, his, you know, or his uh, gorgeous assistant. 
which is why I feel like I'm your gorgeous assistant right now. Do you need anything, Mike? Just keep talking. All right. Great. This is podcast gold. Um, so let's see. He was uh, – yeah, so we were stay, We're doing this tour, and it's great. I'm, and I'm – you know, I was – grew up on a bus, homeschooled. This is total culture shock to me, just – eating different kinds of food and, and talking to different people and seeing different ways of life. It really blew my mind. Also, I was not used to the food there. I, you know, as a homeschool bluegrass boy, I ate a lot of baked beans and, and uh, you know, meat and three kind of food. Mm-hmm. So this was a whole new uh, palate experience for me and I had, I wasn't it wasn't sitting well with me Roger if you get my Roger what I'm trying to say here <clears throat> so we were staying we we did a we performed at a school in Muktahan Thailand which is northern Thailand and we st- were staying with the the at the house of the principal of the school and it was it's one of these houses that's up on like 10 foot high stilts because it would flood in the monsoon season. And there's several of these little houses in this village. And then in the center of the village is a little uh, bathroom hut with a whole uh, squat toilet dug out in it. And so we're it's after the, sh- the performance we've eaten. We've, we've all had a wonderful time. We're staying at this house, and I'm sleeping on a – cot, kind of like a futon mattress on the floor, and there's about five big husky dogs sleeping in there with me because they just had a lot of dogs at this house. And I was like, all right, I like dogs. Uh, And I remember about two or three o'clock in the morning, whatever I had eaten that was not USDA choice beef was, was ready to make its exodus in a big bad way. And I was just sweating profusely, kind of freaking out. And I had to make my way to that squat, squatty potty there. Uh, not a squatty potty, but squat toilet. And uh, didn't have a – this is before smartphones with flashlights. I didn't have a flashlight. I just – I had a – Sony mini disc player uh, yeah. that I had got. <coughs> I for, remember those. We used those yeah. radio when I first started here. It was a Christmas present I had had received, and I had I took it, brought it with me on this trip, and I had maybe two or three discs that I had loaded up with music, and it had that big blue, you know, sort of LCD screen on uh-huh. the front, and I thought, oh, I can use that kind of like a little light, better than nothing. Yeah. So I I make my way out of this. Everyone's asleep. Even though I didn't even wake the dogs up. There, everybody's out. It's just so hot there during the day. It's like you pass out. But I make my way. I'm using my little mini disc player, and I put my little headphones there. The, I had the real cheap little over the ear headphones, and I I put them on, and I'm listening to music, and I'm using this light to guide me down there, and. I make my way, and I'm already terrified because it's 
there's no street lights. You know, it's pitch black. Yeah. A little bit of moonlight. And I'm in northern Thailand and, you know, I'm afraid I'm going to step on a landmine or something. Right. Or like a big snake or something. Well, you're you're on the right track. Oh, boy. So I make my way into the hut and I position myself over the uh, hole there and it is brutal. You know, I'm having a, <laughs> a, a toxic reaction to whatever I ate that day. Uh, and all of a sudden, what I was looking at that I thought was just the ground on on my left starts to move. And I am, you know, I'm occupied. I'm working. <laughs> and it keeps moving, and my eyes are taking a minute to adjust to the darkness, and I've, and I've got my little uh, mini-disc thing kind of facing at me, and I slowly turn it to illuminate what is a, a giant snake that I – in my mind, it was about a foot in diameter right, right. And, and, you know, 400 feet long. But it probably was just a very big, like, constrictor of some kind. Only like 15 and, feet long or right. something. But so it began to sort of circle me and blocked my exit to the out of this little hut. And it, then it went behind me. And I'm, you know, the hole is like a foot from the back wall of the hut. And it is going behind me, behind my my bare feet and around my legs, and I'm just frozen. It was the most terrified of – and I remember thinking of that moment like, oh, this is how I die, just covered in my own crap and <laughs> constricted, strangled by a, <laughs> this giant snake. I shouldn't – you know, why did I – why did I have to try that spicy why food did today? I leave you know, Ohio. I know everything was fine, uh, and it it just I was just it, it felt like that snake circled me until it finally left the little hut. It felt like an hour, but I'll never forget the song that was playing as this was going on because it was almost like. Uh, it was like a pep talk of like just, you know, <laughs> like, hold on. Everything's going to be all right. Uh, and then the next day when I am relating my, my trauma to everyone, they're saying, oh, you met Carl. <laughs> yeah, he he likes – he goes down there. They, they named him Carl. He likes to sleep by the potty. <laughs> well, they said that a lot of times the warmth from someone going makes them think it's a little – critter or something you know he i just feel like that's the kind of thing that you would tell somebody on the way in like uh, right snake like, has a name right then like by the yeah. way oh yeah you you might meet carl yeah that would have been helpful i probably would have would have you know planned my maneuver differently if i had known about that um well shall we listen to it through that we we should it, i might uh I might have a, a, a reaction. <laughs> uh, we haven't even told them what it is yet. Maybe they know. It's uh, Hold On by Tom Waits from his 1990, 1999 album Mule Variations. You gotta hold You gotta hold Been back to Thailand since? I have not. 
and he desires to have a world tour and stop there and say hi to Carl. <laughs> I think I, w- I, I would like to. I feel like I, I, uh, I could appreciate Carl now. Did you get to see him the next day at all? I didn't. Yeah, yeah. I think he, he mostly would come out at night. Right. You know, we, what's so funny, and it, this obviously makes sense in the grand, grand scheme of things, but we've seen it so clearly through this show, is that that story changes that song so much. Right. Like, if we had just listened to that song, it'd be like, oh, you know, it's probably about something, you know. But no, it's not. In this right. case, it's like, it creates quite a picture. <laughs> sure. And it, I, I had a, a very, what, what I called a, a very rational fear of snakes, for many years after that, where I couldn't even go, I, I, I couldn't go to a rainforest cafe oh. because of the anim, animatronic snake. I was just so it's like no, but I have I've I've faced those fears and hmm. I, I've actually held a snake since then. So I've I think I've gotten over that. But it was pretty, pretty terrifying. Um, you know, we've done 100 episodes. That's 300 song stories. Um, as a musician who puts music out into the world, do you ever think about how your songs might end up entwined in some human being's life and their stories and their memories? Yeah, it's, that, it's the, sort of the most rewarding part of doing this. You know, I have a song on my first record called Breath of Love that – uh, Seth Avitt sang with me on that record, and it has been the first dance at numerous weddings. I have performed it at probably 15 weddings myself huh. over the last 10 years. Uh, people come to shows with lyrics from that song tattooed on their body, and it and they'll tell me this story about how it you know they met their significant other at a concert and how this song, you know, one 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 guy uh made some elaborate Valentine's card where he like mailed his sweetheart lyrics like one word at a time of this song. Huh. Just so so it's it's interesting when when something becomes bigger than yeah. than just me and and what I intended for it. And the cool thing also about what we're doing that we've learned and have heard from people and we're experiencing it ourselves is doing this show and putting it out into the world, it creates new little nodes where now somebody will hear that Tom Waits song three years from now and part of them will be in a house in Thailand with David Mayfield. (laughs) Oh, that makes me so happy. (laughs) Um, I have to go back to this real quick. A lot of this is is what you would definitely consider bluegrass. Uh, track six, home, be home. I don't have my reading glasses on. What's that called? Be home. Be home. That one seems like kind of an outlier. What's the story behind that song? Well, you know, I I had mentioned sort of being burned out from touring so much, mm-hmm. and that really I I moved back to Ohio where I where I grew up and bought a house in Akron and fixed it up it was i i paid i've paid more for a car than i've paid for this house so mm. it needed a ton of work and that i took a whole summer where i said i'm not going to tour i've saved a little money i'm going to stay home fix this house up and uh that was the first song i wrote after taking that time off really yep i just got a little chill oh shucks i'm glad i asked that question cuz that's a really good song i mean i mean they're all good songs but there's something oh. about that song that i think I know why I could feel that ness about it, whatever that oh, something ness is. Um, if you were a championship wrestler, what would be the song you came out to? Oh boy, 
if I was a championship wrestler, I would walk out to Bye 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 by NSYNC. I like the way you said it. Yeah. I like the way you said NSYNC, <laughs> NSYNC. <laughs> I think that's NSYNC. I can't tell if you're joking. I think that's how it's pronounced. <laughs> um... How many how, <laughs> how many instruments do you play now? Like like that you Usually would perform one, on at, sta- one at a time. But like, what's your repertoire? Uh, well, in, at a live show, typically I'll play guitar and mandolin, and uh, I'll play upright on a couple songs because my bass player is a fantastic guitar player as okay. well. Uh, but just going to be playing guitar tonight since we flew in. Didn't want to bring all the. You're not playing the mandolin tonight? Not tonight. Nope. Huh. Just the guitar. We'll have guitar, fiddle, stand-up bass, and banjo. If you could learn another instrument and add it to your repertoire, like Matrix style, like you just Ooh. have to pick one and, and then Download there it is. It? Yeah. Uh, it, it would have to be some kind of horn, like a saxophone or a trumpet. I love how... how uh, similar to the human voice they are with the the way you can slide around and bend pitch and stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, do you have a favorite band of all time? Favorite band of all time. That's a tough one. I don't think I could pick a favorite band. Do you have a band that you've spent the most time listening to if you added it all up somehow magically? Well... That would probably be a band called Doyle Lawson and Quicksilver. Okay. That's a uh, a bluegrass band that I was obsessed with. They've been around since the 70s. And before that, Doyle Lawson was in The Country Gentleman, which is a, a popular bluegrass band. Uh, but yeah, I mean, as a kid, I would just – I didn't go to school, you know, so I had lots of free time to just – listen to tons and tons of music, but it was only the music that my parents had. Right. You know, so a lot of old country and bluegrass sort of stuff. What's the Cave Twins? Cave Twins is a duo that I have with a songwriter named Abby Rose. Uh, We put our album out uh, in March of 2019, and it's all, all tunes where I write the lyrics and Abby writes the melodies. Hmm. So it's sort of uh, kind of kind of uh, quirky, uh, kind of like it could be in a, in a Zach Braff movie right. sort of vibe, you know? Do you do any touring with that? Yeah, we, we, we toured quite a bit when that record came out. Um, West Coast, East Coast, played a bunch of shows, opened, got to open for some fun bands, Josh Ritter, uh, Carbon Leaf. And uh, so that's been fun, but we're kind of taking a little slowdown for me to put this bluegrass record out and it's um funny my daughter when i put this in she's like come on dad <laughs> too much banjo yeah. you know <laughs> but then when i put that one in because you sent that along with the kickstarter yeah. she was like oh oh you know she's like a 14 and a half year old theater kid that's right up nice. her alley <laughs> yeah <laughs> um what would your 14 year old self think of who you are today hmm yeah, you know, I think about that sometimes. I have, uh, I've, I've struggled a lot in the last, especially in the last ten years, with with depression, and uh, 
and mental illness and and sort of like uh, through therapy and and you know started to 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 figure out who I am and find myself uh, and and to sort of be uh, grateful for what I have you know and I and I th- I th- think about that when I think about myself like 14 year old me I had when I was 14 I had already I had already made produced two albums for my family band and an album for the 50 year old songwriter who lived in the camper across from us so I I had a little four track cassette recorder I loved recording hmm. it was my dream I did, I never wanted to be a, a singer or a front person of a band I always wanted to have my own recording studio. I used to I used to draw uh, floor plans yeah. as a kid of like here's where the control room will be, yeah. and this will be a vocal booth. And I would watch all the behind the scenes of making albums. So, and now I, I do own my own studio up in Ohio, and I get to to you know I got bands on Monday coming in, and I'll I'll work on three or four albums this month, and it's just so rewarding and so exciting to think. Like, if if I could tell fourteen year old me, like you're going to own your own studio someday and get to do this for a living, and I would gonna be, be blown away. There's going to be computers involved with right. all of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to need this tape machine anymore. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Um, uh, do you have any songs that you'll avoid listening to because of the memory they attach? Oh, sure. Uh, <laughs> um, let's see. What's Hmm. Pass. Pass. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. I have a, a follow up to that pass. Is that a that was a, only three minutes you said there? No, I'm kidding. Yeah. Is is that a is that a pass because you can't think of one, or is that a pass because it's yes, but also pass? Uh, pass. Pass. Okay. No. Yeah. Uh, Fair enough. Okay, we are out of time. This is the end. We've done this, it. We did it. We made it. We podcasted, everybody. We podcasted. The last question is, is, can you recommend three people who you know, who you will share this with, who you think might be willing to do the podcast with us, even if remotely? Yeah. Um, you know, I think I think Scott Avitt would be a terrific guest. We would be okay with that. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll send it to him. Uh, you know who I think would be a fascinating guest is uh, there is a there is a it's not mus- always musicians right oh no it's, it's mostly not yeah yeah this is great you are not the majority there is a uh, there is an artist in who she lives in Thomas West Virginia named Nellie Rose and she she trained in Japan for years to make these these beautiful hand painted garments that are all uh natural linen and hand painted and it's just gorgeous and she has, she's a fascinating person whenever i play in in uh thomas west virginia where her shop is go in and and chat with her and fascinating life she's had i think she would be a terrific that sounds guest. great sounds yeah. great got one more uh you, you ever heard of mike pence uh, Mike Pence, uh, he yeah. vacations on Sanibel unless we're yeah. talking about a different Mike Pence. We probably aren't. Oh, okay. I would be, I would, I'd be curious what his three songs and stories would be. 
Yeah. Uh, do, you, do, you, do you know him? I, I, I think I do. Okay. Yeah. Um, you gonna play a song for us as our parting tune? Sure. What you What do you want me to play? Um, Any requests? Uh, no. I mean, you choose one. All right. Sure. We make this show, which, if you hadn't noticed, has now released 100 freaking episodes in the studios of WGCU Public Radio on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. Richard Chinqui is co-creator and producer. Tara Calligan is online content producer and sometimes host, even sometimes co-host. There's a little nod to the future. Chris Duffus is executive producer. Our theme song was made by Dave, Dave, Dave Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. spinning like the wheel. That brought me here. For this week's parting tune, we're handing it off to David Mayfield. This is Be Home from his new album, Boy Howdy. I'd love to see a place where we can finally be home. heart is and good things never last well this old heart can't take another summer like the last slow it down some settle down son good things never come to those who chase till they I'd love to see a place where we can finally be home. The fire has all but died, but the show it must go on. So these old hollow eyes will fake it through another song. Just hold my hand, love. Show this man what it feels like to be young before we blink and it's all gone. I'd love to see a place where we can finally be home. It's over. That's the end. Nailed it. Next time on Three Song Stories. Do you leave on the radio either with NPR or music or something for your cats when you're not home? <laughs> or maybe, maybe the TV? <laughs> uh, sometimes. Sometimes. I, I will tell you what I have. I have a CD called Music for Cats. Okay. <laughs> and it's... Um,